You can now take KRBN you can now take News KRBN. Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's a lovely day here in the Pacific Northwest. And you're now tuned in to the Bose Nose Show, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And I just want to say happy Buddies Day to everybody out there. Uh, or, you know, what? You don't know what Buddy Day is? We'll be talking about that today on the show, but it is a free-for-all day, so if you want to call in and talk about what you want to talk about, give me a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation because you can call that number 2 to just listen to the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Let's us know you want to talk on the show here. What's Buddy Day? And and why are we talking about it? Well, actually, today is Valentine's Day. And happy Valentine's Day to all of you out there. Uh, did remember to get the wife presents and all that stuff. The candy, flowers, perfume, you know, the whole bit in a card. Uh, so I did my, my duties and I'm not in trouble. Uh, with the spousal unit, which is always a good thing. So hope everybody kept kept themselves out of trouble today that, that has a significant other. And uh, hopefully if you don't have a significant other, maybe you can use this day as an opportunity to uh, introduce yourself to somebody that you've been looking at. Buddy Day, we have a local school board here that uh, approved an idea to change the name of the celebration of Valentine's Day to Buddy Day and ban the distribution of Valentine's Day cards and candies and all between the students and those kind of parties. It raised a little bit of the ire of the local parents. In fact, to the point where they showed up to the school board meeting and the school board was a little unprepared for the amount of people that came there because they chose to hold their meeting in a very small boardroom and of course they, all the parents that showed up couldn't crowd in there and basically they had to shut the meeting down after a half hour of shouting between the school board president and the members of the audience and everything upset. It actually got a little dangerous because it was too many people in the room for fire code and Folks were hot under the collar and saying some things that weren't very pleasant. Um, at least the audience was. And it's one of those things that just, you know, everything broke down. But, you know, it probably wouldn't be so bad. And, and a lot of people remember elementary school and Valentine's Day, at least way back in, 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 in the 60s when I was in elementary school. 
you know, they used to do that thing where you put a little, you made, they had us all make little mailboxes out of tissue boxes and you put them on your desk and everybody went around and put cards in them and stuff like that. And then you all got a chance to open them up and see how many cards you got. And it was really kind of a popularity vote contest because, you know, the prettiest girl and, and the most popular athletic guy got it, got cards from everybody. And, you know, folks like me that had a face made for radio uh, only got two or three from the kids that were given enough cards for every kid in the class by their parent and told that they had to give everybody a card, <laughs> which is what my mom used to do. Um, but, you know, it was always always a day for some hurt feelings and stuff like that in elementary school. So you kind of understand sort of why they're trying to get away from that traditional celebration of Valentine's Day. But they, you know, renaming it kind of might be a little bit unnecessary. It, you know, it might be, you know, you could get rid of the actual practice of giving out cards and candies without having to call it something else. And also, you might be able to use it as, as a day of promoting love, which was what, you know, St. Valentine was supposedly all about. But it comes on top of some other changes in this school day, where they actually got rid of the Halloween costume dress up and the Thanksgiving uh, celebrations and combined them into a harvest festival day. <laughs> so another set of traditional American holidays that got renamed by a school board. So you can kind of understand there was already some sensitivity and that's on top of the lack of recognition of the Christmas holiday uh, that most school systems do. So I think Buddy Day just happened to push some parents over the top and of course, you know, you always hear the school boards and the teachers talk about how they can't get parents involved in their kids, you know, and, and teaching and helping them learn to read and, and making sure they do their homework or coming to school fed and clothed properly. But man, you change the name of a holiday and you can build up a roof and shut down a school board meeting. <laughs> so it's just crazy making in some ways, but it brings me to something else, you know. Actually, two things. One, one is just this whole idea of renaming things and, and trying to erase history. We've talked about this previously on the Bose Nose Show, whether it's taking down monuments to uh, folks that happened to own slaves at one point, like Thomas Jefferson, uh, and ignoring all the good things he did and the times he happened to live in where slave ownership was common changing of Valentine's Day to Buddy Day, it just seems like in this country to try and sanitize our past instead of not sanitizing it and trying to teach people the lessons of the past, which is how you prevent people from repeating the mistakes of those folks that maybe you might want to sanitize and the days you might want to cleanse of a certain name. So it, it just seems to me that we're going in the wrong direction there. But it also gets to a different point in a completely different subject, and that is the conduct of folks in a public meeting. I had to feel for the folks on the Bethel School Board. Now, whether their decision was right, wrong, or indifferent, they did not deserve the abuse that those folks came in there and leveled at them. My understanding was there was free use of the seven dirty words that were banned on, on television and radio at one time in this country. 
and there were children present. Some of the parents had drugged their kids along with them, and there were some parents there that were so upset they're using foul language at the school board in front of the kids that other parents had brought in there. And some of the kids got so scared they started crying. You know, that kind of uh, behavior from adults in a public setting to a school board that's volunteers, you know, that are that are coming in and putting in hours, uh, you know, trying to deal with the school system after they've probably been to work at a 40 hour plus a week job is not exactly what you call uh, good behavior on the part of the public. And I've sat through plenty of meetings as a county commissioner, also sat as a school board member at Lane Community College. That sort of um, animosity and, and reaction, I mean, it's okay to be angry at them and express your, your, your disappointment in the action they took, but do it in a calm, organized way and be respectful because really when you get just, I, I, I've been up there and the easiest thing for me to do when somebody gets totally disrespectful like that is to, is to tune them out. That's the natural human reaction. If you start dropping bombs or if you start just being totally abusive and, and throwing out false accusations and impugning people's, uh, you know, lineage or something like that, the first thing that person that's, that's sitting behind the desk that's trying to listen to the public input is going to do is suddenly that anything else you have to say is, is they're not going to hear because of how, how, how you treated them in the first place. And it's a natural reaction. I try and get past that because I understand people are emotional. So I try to still listen actively, but it's difficult because a natural reaction for people when you approach them in that kind of manner is to shut down their listening and, and not hear what you're saying. In fact, actually, then try and find any reason to be against what you're saying because of because of how you approach them. It's a much better approach to a to a public body to stay polite, to stay calm, even when delivering a message you know is in opposition exactly of what they want to do. You're much more listened to if you can stay calm and stay polite and and not shut down a meeting. You know, so. Just as, as a, you know, and, and it's something that's been happening at the county commission meetings regularly. I mean, we had a gentleman that decided to spend his three minutes repeating the phrase shame, 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 shame as part of some kind of song to us. I kind of thought he was, he was trying to do, do something from Game of Thrones there for a little bit. Um, but he was dead serious. And that was that was his public input was was to. Tell, tell us how shame, how we all ought to be feeling shameful for the actions we've taken when, when in fact we hadn't taken any action. That's what was really bad, bad about it. The guy was totally uh, off base in why he thought we should be shamed. But, uh, you know, so I, I've had those kind of interactions. We've had angry crowds at commission meetings. But the most effective way of talking to us and talking to any body is to do it in a calm way and, it, and almost all of the grassroots training on how to be effective in, in getting change talks about being respectful during public comment so if you want to get your message across if you want to be effective 
stay respectful. If you want to shut a meeting down and get people to stop listening to you, do what you did last Monday night in the Bethel School District, because my guess is they're now bound and determined to keep Buddy Day because the way you folks reacted to it. So whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, um, the, 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 the method of expressing that was so poor that I think that you may actually just have toughened their hides and they're they're going to stick with that decision no matter what, just because of the way the way they were treated in public. But enough about Buddy Day. And and again, happy Buddy Day to everybody out there. Uh, wouldn't want to feel exclusive or make anyone's feelings hurt, so we'll stay away from that evil thing formerly known as Valentine's Day. Um, I feel like I'm talking about the, the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, but there are other things to talk about today on the Bozo no Show, but that one just kind of came up uh, this week out of the blue. Uh, it, it amazes me that there could have been better ways to handle it. I'm sure there could have been a lot better reaction from the public on that, being respectful and, and uh, calm. But I guess we'll, we'll we'll move on there. So there are a few other things in the news here, like the House of Representatives voted along party lines yesterday to put a measure on the ballot to make to amend Oregon's constitution to make health care a right in the state. And I'm kind of curious what you think about that here uh, in Lane County or anywhere you're listening to the Bose Snow Show. Because uh, healthcare being a right is something that's talked about all over the world. And I'm kind of curious um, how some people feel about that. I definitely had my own feelings. There's also another thing that's going on up in the legislature that there's a bill that's been introduced to make strangulation as part of domestic violence a felony rather than a misdemeanor. Um, and I think this is an important law. Because one of the things people don't understand is strangulation, and that can be choking somebody with your hands around the neck, or it can be actually kneeling on somebody's chest and not letting their breath uh, in. Uh, strangulation is more likely to result in death than almost any other form of domestic violence, because you can come so close to the edge, if you know what I mean, uh, in the act of, of doing strangulation. Yet it's also one of those things where it doesn't doesn't always have to leave a mark. You kneel on somebody's chest for a few minutes while they can only breathe out, can't breathe back in. Uh, it may not leave bruising on their chest, but it definitely will scare the crap out of somebody and put them close to death. Um, but it's a good bill because it really does need to be moved up and made to the other forms of domestic violence, like you know battery and other forms of assault. Only problem I have with the bill was in the details of the bill. They made it part of in the matrix of sentencing for judges. They made it a four on that matrix instead of a six. All other forms of domestic violence felonies are six as far as the and that's that's a higher level of sentencing longer terms. For some reason, they put this to the floor, and the only reason I think they did that was to save the state money on prison costs. And, and I just can't see why you're treating one different than the other. 
also kind of gets in the, the case of equal application of the law in some ways. But it really, if you get a chance to talk to state legislators about that particular issue of strangulation and domestic violence, tell them it should be equal to the other domestic violence um, sentencing laws, and it should be a six on the matrix. So just one of those odd things you see is when, where the legislature is doing something right, but in the details, they've got something wrong, yeah, which, which happens a lot, which you probably would, I probably wouldn't know about if I wasn't so engrossed in having to keep a very close eye, because sometimes it's those details that can really hurt Lane County and Lane County residents that you really have to pay attention to. Uh, the devil's always in the details. But we've got healthcare is right. We got strangulation going on, and then we've had some really sad local news here. We had another traffic fatality on Highway 126 West yesterday, and I actually was witness to not. I didn't actually see the accident, but I came upon an accident on Clear Lake Road uh, the day before, where somebody had rear-ended another car that was waiting to make a left turn. And, and the only reason you can think that happens is somebody was inattentive for a few moments, looked, looked away from the road and looked up without enough time to come to a stop. Well, a very similar accident happened yesterday on Highway 126 where somebody was being a little inattentive, rear-ended vehicle, ended up going into the opposing lane of traffic and getting in a head-on between a pickup truck and a minivan and the driver of the minivan died. And that, that's just you know, a really sad statement. It could happen on any roadway in Lane County. That's a two-lane roadway where somebody could, you know, look away from the road, not pay close enough attention to the changing speeds of traffic in front of you or whatever, rear-end somebody and end up getting into the opposing lane of traffic. Now, it just happens that that stretch of Highway 126 has had multiple accidents for multiple reasons had several fatalities because it does carry a heavy amount of traffic and, and needs improvement. Improvements are scheduled. In fact, in the last legislative, full legislative session, we got a $3 million earmark towards some of the environmental study work that has to go along with, that you have to do before you can actually get to the construction part because the federal laws require it. Um, but there's some other things like the, the road's going to get repaved this summer. It's been it's, that's been on the schedule for a couple of years. Uh, there's some safety improvements that are on, on the list from ODOT. In addition to this grand project that ultimately costs about $200 million to take that road and widen it out to four lanes and possibly put a center barrier um, in it so you can't get those crossovers accidents. But when it really comes right down to it. That accident was not a result of that roadway being two lanes and carrying too much traffic. That accident was a result of driver behavior. And there, there, there's no way to engineer around that or anything else. That's all about people taking personal responsibility for paying attention while they're driving, not going too damn fast or being too much rush where they they're not leaving adequate space between vehicles uh all those various things it's really about driver behavior i sat on a 
after there were 10 deaths on Highway 126 between Eugene and Mapleton in 12 months, I convened this safety task force for Highway 126 West to look at that stretch and, and, and why those accidents were happening. We went through 10 years of data, fatal accidents and, and accidents that had serious injury. And almost every one of those accidents were lane departure accidents as a result of driver behaviors. So you can't really say that, you know, we can straighten out a few curves and that's gonna, that's gonna make a road safer. We're gonna widen it. We're gonna put more passing lanes. We're gonna widen the shoulders. That helps maybe once somebody's made a mistake and, and not and being able to recover. The rumble strips that we've been installing along Highway 126 help warn people when they're starting to make a mistake. But the real issue is the driver and getting the driver to change their behaviors, pay more attention. And it gets down to everything from distraction driving with cell phones to going too fast to the folks that are out there driving impaired. And really, that's what needs to change. And really to change driver behavior, the only thing that's been found really effective about that is enforcement. And that's where we get into the issue of, of the, well, federal funds that were withdrawn from the counties here in Oregon that have caused multiple counties to have to cut their rural patrol. And that, you know, Lane County, Douglas County, Coos County, Curry County, Josephine County, they've all decimated their level of rural patrol. So Southwestern Oregon, when you get out on rural roads, it's basically a free, free feeling Wild West show, and it's where the drivers have to control themselves. Not only that, during the last 20 years, the state police has had taken their their patrol force that was on the road from 600 down to 300 sworn officers. At the same time, there's more people in Oregon and more drivers out on the road. So between the lack of rural patrols because of the federal force money being cut to the counties and the lack of state police because the legislature won't invest in the state police, there is no one out there doing the enforcement that makes people pay attention to their behaviors to some degree. But even without that enforcement, it still comes down to the personal responsibility of driver. You're in a vehicle that is a dangerous weapon at any speed much over 10 miles an hour. In fact, you can kill somebody at five miles an hour, or two miles an hour if you run them over. I mean, we all know the tragic stories of some dad that backed over a kid in a driveway. So, you, once you get behind that wheel, you turn that ignition key, you're responsible for something that could kill somebody. And people need to start behaving like that, taking personal responsibility. I see all these comments on Facebook about the fatal accident, about how it's government's fault for not proving the road. It's the driver's fault that go 45 and back people up, and, you know, it, no, it's the driver's fault that caused the accident. No one else was responsible except for that guy that, that initiated this accident by rear-ending somebody that, you know, whether that person slowed down for good reason or bad reason, you're supposed to be paying attention. Whoever does the rear-ending is the person responsible the accident. So really, folks need to be responsible when they drive. Personal responsibility. 
which gets us to healthcare as a right. And, and if you have any, you want to disagree with me about traffic safety and personal responsibility of drivers, or if you have a comment on Buddy Day here in, in uh, the Bethel School District, or strangulation or something else on your mind, because it is a free-for-all day. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. Give me a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. So speaking of personal responsibility, let's talk about health care as a right. And this gets down to some really base core political principles I have uh, that I don't like to violate. And I've talked in this show about trying to decrease the divisiveness and the tone of politics in this country, how you try and assume the other side at least has good intentions and everything, and how I like to work. I'll work with a Democrat or, or a Republican or a Green Party person as long as what we're working towards doesn't violate some of my core principles. Rights, we're getting down into some of my very core principles that I will not violate. And one of those core principles is rights can only be held by an individual. There is no such thing as a group right. You have, as you have an individual right to be a member of a group, that's your right of assembly, but you don't, as a, as a group, you do not have a right. Individuals in that group have rights, but you as a group do not have a right. So, so that's, that's one of my first tenets is only individuals hold rights. The government does not grant those rights. The government cannot take those rights away if they're inalienable rights. Now, what's an inalienable right? It's something that you can't be taken away from you, that you're born with. Some people say that it's given from God, you know, wherever you think it came from, it's something that, that you come with naturally into this world. Now, that means it can't be something that requires somebody else to give it to you. And that's an important faith core principle of my mind. No have any requirement that somebody give it to you. My right to free speech does not require somebody to provide it for me. Like I cannot demand that somebody allow me on their radio station that they own privately to express my opinion because they don't have, you know, any you know, <laughs> obligation to give me that airtime. Now, I can stand out in a public plaza, and as long as I'm not disturbing the peace and within certain limitations, I can stand out there and give a speech about whatever I want to talk about because that's what I have a right to. I can, I can come to public comment period of the Bethel School Board and talk about whatever I want to for my time allotted because that doesn't require somebody else to provide that for me. Likewise, there's a bunch of other rights like the exercise of free practice of religion that doesn't require somebody else to give it to me. It's a choice I might make about how I want to practice my religion, but it doesn't require some other human being to provide that for me. 
Now, when we get down to something like healthcare and housing's been one that's been talked of as a right, somebody else has to provide that for you. So there's a there's a real question. Is that a right? You know, do I have a right to demand somebody else's time? Because one of the things we talk about is you know, no one should be able to take your property without compensation. That's also something to talk about is, is, is that, that, you know, you can't be, be stolen from, basically. Because if you're if actually, you know, what you either produced through your own labors or you purchased with the proceeds from your own labors and own, if somebody takes that from you, that's basically enslavement because they're taking your, your time when it comes right down to it because you, you did something to invest in getting that piece of property. So we don't, we don't think anyone should be able to be made a slave. So when you talk about health care, you're talking about something that gets provided to you by somebody else, whether it's the doctor doing an examination or it's the actual prescription there is some good or service that has to be provided with either the wealth of other people or the time of other people. Therefore, to me, there's no way health care can be described as right. So I, I truly hope that the Senate you know, yeah. comes to the census and doesn't put that on the ballot. If they do, I truly hope the folks in Oregon can kind of see that. Because once you start defining rights as something that somebody else has to provide, where does it end? You know, and, and then where do we get to the point where we're actually enslaving the population through these rights that require somebody else's time, treasure, and sacrifice to provide? Yeah, so really, you really get to a point that you that is pretty dangerous when we start talking about health care or housing or any other thing as a right. You know, because it really gets down to then at that point, are there so many rights described that certain people will spend their entire life working for other people as a slave? I, I just, you know, Maybe I'm totally off base here, but I, I strongly hold those two positions. One, that only individuals have rights. And only and rights are only something that you can be provided without anybody else's time or treasure. So that that's kind of uh, you know where I sort of draw the line on that. <laughs> the one place I've had people argue back with me, and I will agree, this is probably one of the one places where where we might get into this is the right to being uh, represented if charged with a crime. And I I see that as a little bit different in that that's about due process, and the right to due process is not something necessarily that requires other people's time. But one of the ways we provide due process in this country is to provide representation. But 
that doesn't get triggered unless you're charged with a drug crime. So that it, it has a little bit different, um, might be a little different category. So it's one place maybe where my uh, core political principles might fall apart a bit. <coughs> but I'm kind of curious what you think on the Bose Note show is healthcare right? Give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's us know you want to get on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887, and just press one. And you know, you can also chime in by email at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can do that between shows if you want to. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, email me. Tell me what you think about whether healthcare should be right. Also, uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. You can go ahead and like that Facebook page. Helps you get notifications of future shows. But you can also send us a message through that Facebook page. There, in fact, we are broadcasting live on Facebook right now. If that's another way to catch the show, and you can actually comment on that live broadcast. And I think Robin's monitoring the uh, live Facebook post, so. Question comes up there, she should be able to catch it and forward it on to me, and we'll try and answer it on the air or comment. So if you think healthcare is a right, give me a call. Let's have it. Let's have a have a calm and uh, reasoned discussion about this, where we're both assuming uh, each other has good intentions, and uh, we'll discuss healthcare as a right. And, but we can also talk about Buddy Day or Highway 126 and traffic safety or anything else that's on your mind on the Bose Nose Show. Just all sorts of ways you can get a hold of me. The KRBN Facebook page, you can get us by talk at krbnradio.net by email. And of course, calling us is the quickest, easiest way to get in on the show, 646-721-9887. And once you're on the line, just press one, kind of lets us, flags us that you want to get in and talk on the show rather than just listen. Yeah, in fact, uh, Jay, I got I got a little thing for you. Sure. Uh, going back to Buddy Day, you know, somehow it just loses something in the translation, you know. Hey, Jay, would you be my buddy? Yeah. It does lose something in the, the translation, you know. When you be my Valentine, kind of has been around for a long time. How many songs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Will you be my buddy? <laughs> I, I just get the songs just say, you know, "Oh God." <laughs> you know, so, for some reason, you got a friend in me starts playing in the back of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> you got a friend in me. Exactly. Got the Toy Story guys going. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And there you go, folks. First time on radio, you hear Jay singing. Yep. You won't hear it again, probably. Oh God. Yeah. The you know part of being politically correct, I guess. I mean, what? Well, uh, speaking of school districts, um, one of the schools just changed their name. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even get into that. Now they're the axe. Yes, because axe men. And uh, isn't there like a body spray that's called axe or something like that? Something like that. 
And I caught the tail end of the uh, news thing on, on the way home where they were talking about, uh, and I think it has to do with the same school district, where they're talking about changing the name uh, like Mother's Day to uh, Bonnet Day or something like that, and then totally eliminating Father's Day and renaming some of the other holidays. So, Yeah, it just, where does it end? You know, it's like I said, it's, it's this this desire that's, you know, whether you chart, chalk it up to political correctness or whatever, there's this movement in this country right now to sanitize the past, erase it from us, rename things instead of leaving them as they are, recognizing the warts that we had in the past and teaching and learning from those. Right. Well, it's like, why stop there? I mean, let's, let's talk about names. Uh, how many people name their children after a car, like Mercedes or or whatever? Um, names, People's names themselves can be offending or, or deg- degradation. So let's just call everybody a number. But then, you know, maybe the number's too high or too low, and that would be uh, degrading. Well, you know, they've already gone through this movement to get rid of red pencil in schools. They don't mark up papers in red anymore. They mark them up in purple. Okay. <laughs> no, don't laugh. They because uh, there was a concern that Reb was too angry or something. I forget what the reason was that they got rid of red pencil, but they got rid of it. Yeah. Well, well red is supposed to be an angry color. Yeah. So let's put it in green, where it's nice and cheery, and the color of money. Well, it used to be the color of money. I don't know what color money is anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, money does have have all sorts of colors. Getting closer to monopoly money all every day. Every time they produce a new bill, it seems like it's getting closer and closer, looking like monopoly money. Yeah, to keep people from uh, counterfeiting. In fact, when they uh, made the major change, it took two days before there was counterfeits. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of kind of interesting. It's just, but you know, like like you say, it's just uh, you can't fix stupid, and that's what they're trying to do. And you know, it's just grow, grow, grow some skin. I mean, really. Yeah. Well, and it's it's an attempt at trying to erase history and all that stuff. And sometimes it's you know well well intentioned. Sometimes it's intentional. Um, and I think there's there's lessons to be learned in history, and those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. Santayana um, words are, are just really ring true, and it just amazes me as I watch people repeat history sometimes. Well, it's how you learn. It's like if this bright, glowing thing on a stove, if you touch it one time and discover that thing equates to very hot and it hurts, chances are you're going to learn from history and not do it again. Yep. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, you know, it. You know, this, I was having a discussion today with one of my constituents about land use laws, and he's having some problems with with trying to get something built in a rural um, commercial zone. And I I feel for him because our our rural commercial zone code is very confusing, and and it's built that way because state land use laws require us to try and be very restrictive because we're really supposed to keep most of the commercial inside cities, and it's, that that's Neither here nor there. We got to talking about uh, housing in that conversation, and 
uh, accessory dwelling units out in rural areas and everything. And that got us around to the fact that some of the people that are against the accessory dwelling units out in rural areas because it might mean sprawl were the same people that were pushing for uh, rent control provisions in state law last uh, legislative session and the disconnect between the lack of housing supply and the need and what it's doing to rent rates and why folks need rent control is just amazing to me. But it gets back to not learning history. What happened when they imposed rent control in a lot of East Coast um, cities when inflation was really bad in the 70s, in the, in the mid to late 70s? Uh, they imposed rent control and it virtually shut down the, the construction of new rental units in those cities because no one in their right mind was going to invest in a new apartment building if they weren't ever going to be able to raise the rent and, and they were going to be controlled by the by the city in such a manner. So it actually made rentals worse and it got the craziness about people trying to main, you know, if you moved, your rent could go up. So people were not moving out of apartments. So landlords were not maintaining them because they did because they knew their renters wouldn't dare leave and lose their rent controlled apartment. So the apartments got more and more run down and, and slum like. And that history is there, plain as day, yet people were willing in 2017 to try and impose very similar rent control statewide in, in the state of Oregon without learning from that history that's as recent as the late 70s and well studied. So, it, you know, those that don't, you know, that want to keep erasing pieces of history, that's the sort of mistake that can get repeated. And thank goodness that bill finally got killed and didn't see the, you know, didn't get passed. But it had strong support, you know, from the Speaker of the House of Representatives in this state to, to put in rent control, totally ignoring the history of rent control in this country and in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's easy to say, OK, yeah, we should put uh, limits on how much you can charge for rent. But again, like you, to emphasize your point, there's other factors involved. And that, you know, you hopefully you have good tenants so you don't have to keep repairing the place. Taxes go up, other expenses go up. And if you freeze the how much you can charge on rent, yeah, the nobody's going to invest in that because they'll go in the hole. And that's not what they're doing this for. Yeah, yeah. The real solution to the housing cost problem is more housing. Right. Competition. Price is a function of supply and demand. And the demand in this state is very high right now, and the supply is artificially restricted by our land use laws, the complex set of regulations and trying to get something built. And that's why it's so so limited, and that's why it's going through the roof. Yet their answer to it would, would have been an artificial price control, which would have caused there to be less supply built and exacerbating the problem. And if any any student of history looking at what happened when when east coast cities put in price controls back in the 70s would not have gone down that road in, at all but obviously our um, speaker of the house here in oregon hasn't studied very much history in, in that aspect 
and was willing to repeat that mistake. Fortunately, hopefully, you know, folks like me that thought that based on, on the history, maybe it finally got through to enough legislators and that's why it didn't get passed. But whether it's buddy day or rent control, erasing history and not learning history is not the correct way to go in, in modern day. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, just, and same can be true like for the $15 an hour minimum wage too, when you think about it. it it's another exercise in, in, in government interfering with the relationships to the free market. And it was easy to see what happened in, in, in the Seattle area when they went to the $15 an hour and also even San Francisco. Um, San Francisco lost a lot of bookstores. I think, you know, one of their most popular bookstores because of the $15 an hour wage. Seattle lost a bunch of restaurants and restaurants that stayed went to automated kiosks for ordering, touchscreen kiosks and stuff like that. As you artificially raise the cost of something, it will be, it, you suddenly make it affordable to replace with automation. Well, and people... From a employee's point of view, they just go, you know, hey Jay, it's only four dollars more an hour, you know, what's the big deal on that? But you know, as an employer, Jay, you you know all the expenses behind the scenes. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the things you know, I'm fortunate to have a, a really smart, intelligent, business-oriented wife who owns her own business, which I get to participate in, kind of on the side. You know, I I do the payroll. Every two weeks, I take out the trash once a week and I change the light bulbs because you got to get it on a ladder to change the light bulbs inside that building. Uh, <laughs> so that, those are my duties. But, you know, because of that, I, I, you know, virtually see the business. I get to sign front side the paychecks and that dollar per hour is is only part of what it costs to hold an employee. There's the employer's side of workman's comp, unemployment insurance. All the other things that, that are tacked on top of that, um, the mass transit taxes that are percentage of payroll, all that, you know, that $15 an hour isn't where it ends for the employer. But that's just not really the total part of the story. It's just that employment, you know, employee costs for a lot of businesses are a major driver of the business. It's, it's our we run a mag. My wife runs a magazine, so you can imagine that printing the magazine and mailing it are a major portion of her costs. Well, her other biggest uh, cost of the magazine is personnel. You know, so it basically runs 50-50, 50 on the producing and mailing the magazine, and 50% is the people that put it together and keep the business running. And that's really um, you start jacking that percentage up a little bit, and if if that's 50% of the cost of a business and you start raising that five or 10% and that business was only making a 5% margin, suddenly it's not making any money anymore. And we're actually, you know, pushing those limits right now with our business as we're trying to keep our employees wages. We don't have anyone at minimum wage that we pay because most of our jobs are skill level sets that are kind of beyond minimum wage. People working with databases, with QuickBooks, uh, graphic designers. So we're trying to keep their pay high enough to where they have a difference between somebody that's sweeping the floors and McDonald's at night. 
So how do we make that differentiation? It's starting to push our, our labor cost up to where, you know, we have to start thinking about how much longer can we keep this business viable in the state of Oregon under the minimum wage laws. And, you know, frankly, my wife and I are looking at it wondering, is she going to be able to, you know, she's only 58. So she's got about seven years to when she wants to retire. Can she keep the business going for that full seven years as, as minimum wage slowly ratchets up to 1350 uh, or whatever it's going to be here in Lane County uh, over that, that time period that the legislation passed? And it's a lesson that we could have learned just by looking at other jurisdictions or just even understanding basic economic theory. You know, that's that's another surprising thing when people get into politics and suddenly basic economic theory doesn't mean anything. Well, throw on top of that, okay, let's say you're a minimum wage employee and now you're making fifteen dollars an hour. What happens to that employee that was making fifteen dollars an hour now and is now making minimum wage? He's gonna want more money. Yeah, well, that's what I've, you know, just like I've got employees right now that were, when the wage law passed, I had them several dollars over minimum wage, but now as the minimum wage starts creeping up to their wage, how do I differentiate those folks? And, and that's where it's it's pushing our business to the edge because our 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 human resource cost is going up and up and up artificially based on a state law, and and that's you know. As, as you look at the bigger picture of things, you know, that's a lesson that could have been learned by watching what happened in other cities that, that passed minimum wage laws. There were labs out there for people to watch and look at. They still moved ahead with that legislation here in this state, having seen what happened in Seattle, having seen what happened in San Francisco. And you know, the other part that people don't talk about, and this gets to this whole issue of, you know, cap and trade and adding to the cost of goods, that minimum wage cost. So for a business like ours, one of our options is to try and raise the price of our magazine to our subscribers and the cost of our advertising to our advertisers to, to generate revenue to offset that increase in labor cost. Well, magazines kind of have a we're, we're actually distributed globally. We go out internationally. We go out all across the U.S. So our market's not just here in Oregon or something like that. And uh, we're a niche magazine, and there's kind of a limit to what you can charge for a magazine and, and not lose subscribers. It's not an inelastic sort of uh, equation. So as we raise price, are we going to lose sales? And will we actually be able to gain back that cost of the, of the increased labor? Same thing happens in all the other places. So they're going to be businesses attempting to raise prices for customers because their wages, are, they're having to pay that $15 an hour minimum wage. So what happens? McDonald's raises the prices of Big Mac. Um, the trucking company that delivers the food to your grocery store raises the prices to the grocery store. So they have to raise the price of lettuce in the produce department so, so everything that that person that got the 15 dollar an hour wage suddenly becomes more so they actually lose buying power maybe because all the increase in cost caused by that minimum wage increase which raised all the labor rates across the state and it starts an inflationary cycle to where that minimum wage actually becomes 
you know, less than what it was or equal to what it was before the law got changed. So there's no no thoughts about what that actually has in the end run inflation either. So, you know, there's two sides of it. One, one it makes it more cost effective to automate, you know, and get rid of that labor cost. <laughs> and then it, two, it raises the price to those folks earning minimum wage. So do they really get ahead by an artificial, artificially high minimum wage law? Well, doesn't that also put them in a higher tax bracket too? Yeah, because you know that you know those tax brackets are set, and I don't think have been regaged for minimum wage. <clears throat> so you never know, and it might actually put them in a place where they they it makes them ineligible for certain benefits. You know, yeah. might trip them out of their food stamp eligibility or something like that. So yeah, it it's one of those unintended consequences, unwell thought out pieces of legislation, which would have been very simple for folks to look back and and look at some of the lessons learned. This cap and trade bill, I saw some data recently. There was a, a group of states in the Northeast that got together and decided they were going to all pass cap and trade type carbon bills uh, on the East Coast with New York leading the way. And they formed something called the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, RGGI, which they call REGI for short. Well, the states that were in that coalition that passed cap and trade versus the states that stayed away from it. And, and didn't. So there was a study of manufacturing job growth between those two. And basically, the states that participated, the RGGI states, lost 3.7% of their manufacturing jobs since 2012. The states that aren't in that in the US increased their manufacturing jobs by 5.8% over the same time period. <clears throat> so that's history. That's available now to our state legislature as they consider adopting Oregon version of that cap and trade that will be just as punishing to the manufacturing manufacturers in Oregon. So is that really the direction we want to go, particularly when we're one of the lowest carbon emitting states in the U.S.? We're one of the highest energy efficiency states per capita in the U.S. And we have multiple initiatives that are already dealing with climate change and carbon emissions and greenhouse gas emissions existing under state law as it is right now. Yeah. And it's not just uh, putting more expense on manufacturers, it puts it on the individuals too. And that, that's just one step closer to doing like Portland and Medford requiring on each car to be tailpipe tested, which a lot of people have clean cars, you know, non-visible emissions, but wouldn't pass. I mean, I'm one of them, and I couldn't afford to go get another car. I don't want to get another car. Yeah, it's just, and you know, some of these things just amaze me that they don't really have much of a health benefit either on the tailpipe emissions. Because one of the things that I know from sitting on the Lane Regional Air Protection Agency board is we're not 
close to non-attainment for pollutants that come from automobiles in this area. It's not a big issue. Automobile tailpipe pollution, plus cars are getting cleaner and cleaner every year. Right. And, and the ones that are aging out of the, the uh, fleet that's in Oregon, you know, they're the, they're the dirty ones. And as we go along, we're actually getting cleaner and cleaner air here in Oregon. Every year, there's improvements in the background um, um, air quality of, the, of this area. So bringing in tailpipe testing to Eugene and Springfield, as some folks want to do, and particularly, I know that Betty Taylor with the Eugene City Council is pushing for that. Just makes me wonder, where's the true public health benefit doing that? When there's multiple studies that say that poverty is actually more detrimental to your health than tobacco usage or obesity. And they're talking about taking people that might be on the edge and, and have some of those older vehicles or might have a car that won't pass like you have and that aren't really high up on the, on the wage scale and drive them into poverty by having, to, having them take on a new vehicle. Where's there data to justify um, doing this? There isn't good data. There is some data that says that, that if you do test, there are people that will fail that test because their cars unknowingly might not be functioning well. But most of those people would be caught the next time they went in to have their, their uh, oil changed because cars nowadays, the first thing they do is plug them into a computer and read the same thing that the computer reads when you go to the emission test station. Right. And it's usually just a matter of catching that flaw a few months or a month or a few weeks or maybe a few days before it would have been caught at Jiffy Lube or, or the local Ford dealer. Or like my car, it's uh, and it's very common with older vehicles. The air injection pump goes bad. It's very expensive to replace, um, so it gets pulled off. And also my car check engine light is on, but it's because of the, uh, the throttle positioning switch that needs to be fine-tuned. Big deal. Yeah, yeah. But because it, the check engine light's on, it wouldn't pass. Yep, yep. Not that it's putting out a lot of pollutants because our background air quality in Lane County isn't reaching any sort of health quality issues due to vehicle emissions. Right. Our biggest issue in Lane County for air quality and health impacts is smoke. And it's either summertime smoke intrusion from wildfires caused by bad forest policy, which we've talked about here on the Bo's Nose Show, or it's wintertime people burning fireplaces on still days when we probably shouldn't be burning fireplaces. But vehicle emissions are not a health hazard in Lane County, and to require people to go in and get their vehicles tested on a regular basis, come up with the testing fees, and everything else is just a ridiculous effort on the part of Councillor Taylor. Well, that's about all we have time for on the Bo's Nose Show today. Hope you enjoyed our show. Kind of really like it though if someone would call in next time because I want to talk about what you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show, not just what Jay wants to talk about. Although we covered a lot of ground from Buddy Day to healthcare as a right, but we'll be back next week. Although I think we might have to do the show a little bit earlier in the day because 
Next week, I've got an event at five o'clock at the University of Oregon to talk about housing, and that's a pretty important event. And if I can manage to swing it, I might even do a live broadcast from the University of Oregon campus where maybe we can talk to some people that are students there, et cetera, and maybe coming to that housing um, um, meeting at five to talk about housing and stuff. So might be finding a place to set up close to that meeting on campus and see if we can get a good enough internet connection to run the Bose Nose Show there. But keep an eye on the Bose Nose Show Facebook page for a change in our time. So thank you, and we'll let's talk to you next week. Have a great week, and thank you for listening to Bose Nose Show. Thank you.